listening, but please be advised that I make mistakes and should be called out on them, just as I call out others when they do the same. If nobody points out my errors, I'll never learn or improve. So please, if you find that I was wrong about something, let me know. You can do that at livingthroughextinction at gmail.com. Please also be aware that I do cuss. It's just a part of who I am, and this is an honest outlet for me, not a place to be fake. Who you get on this podcast is who you get in real life. So listener discretion is advised. This is episode 76 of Living Through Extinction, a short to the point podcast with segments on science and skepticism, environment and wildlife, and ways we as humans can be better, not just for the planet, but for humanity overall. Happy New Year! I'm happy to be back in my space under the stairs recording a new episode and excited for what new topics might come my way this year. In 2022, I had great experiences covering basic income, mental health, the Stonewall Uprising, and things like information literacy. And learning about workplace happiness and all of the different healthcare biases was very enlightening, so I'm glad I decided to do those ones as well. I'm almost always pumped for the skeptical segments, whether it's for an excited, happy reason or a raging, frustrated reason. I swear I often go into those segments with the intent to be calm and professional, but it's my passion, and that's the one bit I always seem to let my emotions control in the end. I also sometimes talk about my personal experiences dealing with people buying into far-right Christian nationalist propaganda, though I never would and never will name names. It's not about shaming anyone. It's about using those experiences to teach others. While this show does have a format, I don't force it. If nothing interesting comes up for a particular segment, then that segment will be left out for that show. And I don't have a time structure either. The skeptical segment, for example, is sometimes just a quick blurb, and other times it takes up half the show. If I decide to cover something and it turns out not to have a lot of verifiable information available, then instead of trying to drag things out, that'll just end up being a shorter segment. Then it goes the other way sometimes, and there's too much to say about a topic that I don't want to leave out. It doesn't happen often, but those episodes can sometimes exceed 30 minutes. Today I'll be starting with those fuckfaces at America's frontline doctors, followed by floating plastic islands full of human pathogens, and ending with something almost unbelievably adorable to make it all better. There will also be talk about bone devourers and the geological strata in between. If you have joined me before, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you for returning. Thank you. If this is your first time listening to Living Through Extinction, welcome. I hope you find it both fun and informative. America's Frontline Doctors. The fraud. The scandal. The despicable behavior. Who is surprised? If you said me, then you may very well be a fact-denying brainwashed Trump-supporting conservative because everyone else in the civilized world saw them for who and what they were. AFD is a right-wing doctor organization founded specifically to promote pro-Trump doctors during the pandemic. These people saw how much money could be made off the gullible masses following Trump and jumped on that train. They have been all about trying to turn the public against researched, tested, and proven methods and convincing them to buy their woo shit instead. 
and fear has been their main instrument of attack. Some of the people involved in AFD have direct ties to radical conservative extremists. None of the people involved in America's frontline doctors actually have any frontline paramedic experience in any way. They are founded by an insurrectionist, for fuck's sakes. Simone Gold, MD, served 60 days in federal prison for her role in the events of January 6th. This is someone with an account on Gab, the media site for right-wing extremists. When she claimed that the vaccine was more dangerous than the virus itself in September of 2021, there were already 690,000 dead in the U.S., and 99% of this 690,000 were made up of unvaccinated people. Hospitals where she's previously worked have disassociated themselves with her. She spread racism in her bullshit claims that COVID-19 was renamed from the Wuhan virus as part of a cover-up. She is currently unlicensed and claims to have refused to renew her board certification because she believes the boards to be unethical. The projection, right? You know what she is licensed in? She's an officially licensed attorney, which is probably where she got her manipulation skills from. And guess where her main place of advertisement has been? Health sharing ministries. I've talked about those crooked fuckers and the damage they've caused on episodes 53 and 62. Didn't plan on a second part to that one, but then that one went and left its members tens of thousands of dollars in debt, so I had to do a follow-up. And, of course, she and her quackery and AFD were promoted by Joe Rogan, Trump, and others who don't give a shit about the harm they are doing by spreading this bull. They made a YouTube channel to promote their crap and let the leaders of the brainwashed masses send their clueless followers their way. America's frontline doctors claim that their goal was to, quote, Amplify the voices of concerned physicians and patients nationwide to combat those who push political and economic agendas at the expense of science and quality healthcare solutions. Unquote. When what they are really doing is supporting and promoting unethical doctors who want to take part in scamming as many people as possible and selling as much as they can while people are still panicked. This organization wanted to stop the COVID vaccine because that would severely lessen their cash inflow. They called vaccines experimental biological agents. Ooh, scary. Yeah, only to dumbasses who turn to Trumpers for advice. Unfortunately, that's hundreds of millions of Americans and Canadians right now, and they vote more than everyone else. AFD also spoke out against masks, health mandates, and distancing, of course. These minimize infections, and that is not what AFD is interested in. What they are interested in is selling things like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine as cures. So to them, the more infected, the better. When I would show skepticism about America's Frontline Doctors posts early on, the posters would get super defensive. To those who have made the following statements. They're fucking doctors. I thought you listened to doctors. You think you know better than a doctor? My response. As I say all the time, there are bad eggs in every demographic, be it race, religion, profession, hobby, group, everything. Yes, even doctors. I never said I knew better than them. I said they were frauds. But it turns out I definitely knew better than you, didn't I? Because they turned out to be frauds. I don't blindly believe all doctors about everything. 
I'm going to listen to a cardiologist about my heart over what some ear, nose, and throat doctor has to say, just like I'm going to listen to an ear, nose, and throat doctor about a sinus issue over what a cardiologist has to say. That's fucking reason. But half our population has lost the ability to reason. They just want to find someone with letters after the name who agree with what they want to be true. No logic, no skepticism, no actual care for actual truth. Meanwhile, by early 2021, America's frontline doctors were selling telehealth consultations for alternative COVID treatments for $90 a pop and working with a small network of unethical healthcare providers to continue to sow distrust in proven researched methods. Those consults were about one thing, and that was to get the person to go to one of their supported doctors and buy one of their alternative treatments. The $90 didn't include any of the products they'd convince you to buy. That was pure bonus on their end. Even if one never listened to them and never bought their products, if they just paid for a consult, that was a win for AFD. And enough did get duped into taking their $90 advice, and that network of right-wing doctors made millions. America's frontline doctors even crowdfunded, claiming that they were raising money so that they'd be able to reveal the truth to everyone. I don't even feel sorry for those who sent them money. Just like I don't feel sorry for the dumb fucks who paid money for those NFTs. Though I'm starting to believe what some people are hypothesizing and that it was just Trump buying them all up himself to launder money, but whatever. Though it does sadden me a bit that a political party in North America has gone the way of taking advantage of the less educated as their entire plan of action, even to the point of decrying the educated and discouraging furthering one's education at times. That's Republicans for you today, though, right? It might be time to do an updated Ridiculous Things Republicans Have Said segment, because in the last year, whew, I have a few quick examples of some of the doctors conservative Republicans and conservative Canadians were quick to defend and follow over actual epidemiologists and doctors trained and educated in actual viral medicine. We have Dr. James Todaro, MD in Michigan, who, by the way, is no longer practicing. Why would he when he can just sell hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin from home? His specialty? He's an ophthalmologist. He studied the eyes, and he's trained in vision care. Also, his medical license was only classified as educational limited, and it expired in 2019. How anyone can listen to him over someone with Fauci's experience in education is beyond ignorance. There's also Bob Hamilton, MD, in Santa Monica, California. This guy is a pediatrician who promoted COVID-19 as being no risk to children. We learned the truth about that one after the first two years were over. I talked more about those numbers in episode 43 and can't help but wonder how many of these children died as a direct result of his disinformation. And in his case, this is disinformation. He knew better. He knew he was lying about it. That's purposeful spreading of disinformation, which did cost lives. One more example would be Dan Erickson, D.O. Notice that's not M.D. M.D. is for a person who completes medical school and residencies. D.O. stands for Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine. Erickson has had his claims condemned by the American College of Emergency Physicians and the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. They called his statements about COVID-19 reckless, untested musings, inconsistent with current science and epidemiology. And this is who Republicans and conservative Canadians believe over those educated in the appropriate areas. AFD 
has also had people like Stella Emanuel publicly speak on their behalf. This is a woman who has said things like gynecological issues are caused by having sex and dreams with demons and witches. These are the kinds of people who make up this group. Founder Simone Gold, who I mentioned a minute ago, helped herself to the funds that came in for whatever she wanted or needed. Home, travel, tickets, cars, whatever her little heart desired. By this time, America's frontline doctors was larger than just herself, and when she was caught for all the money she stole, she was fired and actually went to jail for a while. Did someone you know spread AFD's disinformation? Plenty of people who also don't care about the harm it can cause shared their posts, but also plenty of people who just don't understand it. Many of those sharing these things are not doing so maliciously. They genuinely do not understand the harm. For those who are reasonable at heart, call them on their posts and gently nudge them into maybe being more skeptical, damn it. You know those islands of plastics, microplastics, and microfibers that are floating around in the ocean? It turns out they're doing a bit more than just taking up space on the ocean surface. Testing has shown that pretty much any plastic, when placed in the ocean for a week, will already have a buildup of biofilm on it. This film is a slimy mixture of mucus and microbes. Now, think about those plastic islands floating around for decades. The bacteria and microbes living on them have by now turned them into toxic islands carrying pathogens around. When films from plastics recovered from the ocean were tested, all types of bacteria were found, many known to make humans ill. For example, the pathogenic bacteria responsible for causing urinary tract, skin, and stomach infections are present, as well as those which cause pneumonia and other illnesses. They also carry parasites, which are known to survive in seawater and infect marine mammals, on top of the viruses and toxic algae. The most frightening discovery is probably that the bacteria found carried a wide range of genes for antimicrobial resistance. These garbage islands are undisturbed breeding grounds for the pathogens they carry. Also, bacteria can exchange genes, and in these conditions can do so at an incredibly high rate. If left long enough, we could have some diseases float ashore someday that we have no way of handling. That is what's floating around our oceans right now. They can carry these pathogens pretty much anywhere in the world. For example, in 2011, after the earthquake and tsunami in Japan, their waste began to wash up along the shores of North America. Once in the ocean, trash can end up pretty much anywhere. I don't know what the solution is, or if there even is one. After this latest research, I would hope research on what could be done would be the next step. OSDAX. O-S-E-D-A-X. OSDAX. I looked up the pronunciation, and it just doesn't feel like it matches the letters. OSDAX means bone devourer in Latin. This is an organism which is relatively new to humanity. The first were found living in the bones of a rotting gray whale on the seafloor near Monterey Bay, California in 2002. So about 21 years. What at first appeared to be a new plant life discovery, once collected and examined, turned out to be worms. They don't seem to care what kind of bones are made available. In studies conducted, different kinds of bones were dropped in different places, and wherever they put bones, they'd eventually find worms. They colonize and grow in a way I saw described somewhere as resembling a shaggy carpet. Since first identified, and since researchers learned what to look for, more than 30 species have been discovered around the world, 26 of which have made their way to the World Registry of Marine Species. The sizes of these different species vary from smaller than an eyelash to the length of a little finger. 
Look up an image because they are very cool. The ones we see are the females as the males actually live inside of them. I'll get to that in a minute. Out of one end, the worm has plumes they can spread out into the water for the purpose of absorbing oxygen, but they can also retract back within themselves when danger approaches. The other end has roots which they use to drill into the bones and hold tight. These roots contain a symbiotic bacteria. The ostax doesn't have a mouth or stomach for nutrition absorption. Instead, they secrete acid from their skin to break up the bone, freeing the fat and protein trapped inside of it. The bacteria they carry digests these fats and proteins. Somehow the worms then acquire nutrients from the fed bacteria, but that function has not quite been figured out yet. What we have learned about the reproduction is super interesting though. The males are microscopic and actually live inside the female's mucus tube in what I saw described as harems of tens or hundreds, where they wait for eggs to emerge and then fertilize them immediately. No searching for mates for these females. They carry what they need around inside them. Hundreds of teeny tiny mates. So weird. I love it. Genetic studies have revealed that they've likely existed since the Cretaceous period. There is still so much to figure out about these strange bone eaters, also called zombie worms by some. No larvae have been found yet, and there have been hypotheses, but it's not yet understood how they find bones to attach to. One thought is that they may have receptors which pick up the chemicals wafting through the water from the bones. I look forward to future papers on these weird-ass creatures. Boggles my mind that Randy Rogel never wrote a song for Animaniacs or Hysteria about the geological strata. He did the history of the war, the nations of the world, the states and their capitals, the American presidents, the universe, processed food ingredients, the senses, the death of Caesar, and all the words in the English language. He did write one on the geologic clock, but never the geologic strata. That shit is important. Stratigraphy, a subfield of geology, is the specialty of strata study. Gaining an understanding of the Earth's layers and how they can be read has allowed humans to make predictions regarding evolution and where to look for specific fossils that could prove their hypotheses. I first became aware of the importance of the geological strata for how and why we know a lot of what we know through a book called Your Inner Fish. This book is fascinating, by the way. One of my favorites, which I highly recommend. Anyone with a genuine curiosity about where we came from and how we formed into what we are today would definitely enjoy it. Very simplified, with no details, because you should read it for yourself. One section talks about the search for what religious people would call a missing link. The researcher had one fossil sample from a specific deeper strata layer, and another sample from a not-as-deep specific strata layer. While religious zealots were insisting these were two different creatures, science-based minds could see that one was an earlier version of the other. So guesses were made as to what the creature looked like between the older fossil and the younger one. The more of these we get our hands on, the clearer the transitions become to the human eye. This was a big deal because it would test the currently held beliefs about the way our Earth is layered. If what we thought we know about the geological strata was true, then it was determined which strata the fossil they were looking for had to be in, if it existed at all. After all, fossilization is actually a very rare thing. They called it Tiktaalik and set out to find digging areas where the strata they were interested in was most exposed. 
It didn't go smoothly, and it didn't happen on their first try, but they kept at it, and they eventually found the hypothesized tiktaalik fossil, and it was pretty much exactly what they expected based on the science of evolution and the science of the geological strata. That's what science is. Making guesses based on what we know and testing those guesses to see if they pan out, then using those same methods again to see if the hypotheses continue to be true. The geological strata of the Earth has shown us again and again that it only works in one direction. The deeper we go, the older the layer. That makes it a fantastic tool, a priceless one to geologists, really. This is called the law of superposition, the fact that younger layers sit on top of older layers. I once did a thousand-piece strata puzzle that I still have somewhere. It showed the strata layers on one side, what the land on the planet looked like on the other side, and the animals that existed in between. There was a colorful row for each geological era. These errors are measured with the strata, each layer representing a different period of time on the planet. The deepest part of the planet is called the Hadean layer. This layer represents the formation of the Earth. Then comes the layer of the Archean area, when the Earth's crust has cooled enough to allow the formation of continents and life began in the oceans. The Proterozoic Era is contained in the stratum where we find evidence of bacteria, algae, and jellyfish. Invertebrates, trilobites, and brachiopods are found in the next layer. We call this era the Cambrian Period. Sea life containing bone do not appear until the Ordovician Era. Then the earliest land animals can be found in the layer representing the Silurian Period. This continues layer after layer, time period after time period, as life on the planet grew and evolved and became more complex. This is why, as Bill Nye said, we will never find a rabbit fossil in the Cabrian stratum. They simply didn't exist yet. When Nye debated that dickhead Ken Ham, a question was asked of each of them, and their answers were very telling of their intellectual integrity. The question was... What would it take to change your mind about evolution? Ken Ham's answer was, of course, one of ignorance. Nothing. Nothing will change his mind because he has a book he believes and it tells him evolution is false. Period. That's called willful ignorance and is not to be respected. Bill Nye's answer was that if a fossil was found out of place, it would throw the entire evolution theory on its head and they would have to start over. He used the rabbit as an example. If a rabbit fossil matching today's rabbits was found in a stratum layer from before the rabbit we know existed, that would do it. He'd have to change his mind because he's a skeptic and it's the truth. And that is what matters, not how he feels about it. The fact that he is willing to give a direct example of how he could be proven wrong and be forced to change his mind shows his intellectual integrity as opposed to Ham's willful ignorance. Creationists have since tried to decry this statement with comments like, he's ignoring other mammals found in such and such an era. This argument is only going to work on the naive, as if you think about it for just a minute, nobody ever said that there were no mammals in that period, just that rabbits hadn't evolved yet. Bringing up other mammals is dishonest deflecting, but there are plenty of people who will take that statement as a gotcha. Plenty of uneducated, naive people. The fact of the matter is, nobody will ever find a rabbit there because they didn't exist yet. Because evolution is a definitively proven fact. That's because new sediment and minerals are deposited over 
old sediment and minerals, creating a natural timeline for us to follow. When in areas where the strata are revealed, the layers are very distinguishable. Each is made from sediments weathered and eroded away from different rock sources. Normally these layers are horizontal because that's how gravity works, but events do happen that'll misalign them. The layers will appear at an angle in areas where shifting of tectonic plates have pushed huge areas of earth up, for example. I found a great photograph which shows this and we'll try to remember to post it. Great images to look up of areas where strata have been revealed and can be seen with the naked eye are the Painted Desert and the Petrified Forest National Park. The layers of the strata that can be seen in these locations is very clear and very beautiful. Death Valley goes so deep that it contains layers going all the way down to the Precambrian area where no life is yet found. I'd guess a lot of geological digs happen in this area. It would be a great place for it. Just go to the elevation of the strata you want to study and go at it, right? The data provided by stratigraphy professionals doesn't only help researchers to zone in on where to look, but it's also useful to zoners regarding clearing and building. They can predict the geological makeup of very large areas so the industry involved can know what to expect when they break ground or dig or drill or whatever it is they're doing. If our knowledge of the strata was not considered to be reliable, then it wouldn't be relied on for building and construction purposes the way it is. I'm sorry creationists, but this one just keeps proving itself again and again. We absolutely can rely on the geological strata to tell us all sorts of things. That includes the age of the earth, the relative order of major events in earth's history, and the order in which life appeared and changed on this planet. What you called missing links are being found all the time now thanks to our ability to make use of this incredible knowledge. The information is available, and the facts are more solidified with every discovery made as a result of it. One animal in a strata from before the animal is known to have existed. That's what it would take to change my mind. That's what it would take to break the theory of evolution. Please get ready to smile. You know how hermit crabs will grab pretty much anything that'll work as a shell? Even, unfortunately, human-caused trash at times? It's an instinctual thing that they just do. Did you know? I can't be the only one who didn't know this. Did you know that sea urchins have a similar instinct? They do not crawl into hollow things, but they do pick up different things they come across and hold them above them. Sea urchins have spines and tubes. The spines can be moved in a way that will propel them through the water, and the tubes end in suction cups, which are used to slowly crawl on the surface. As they crawl, they often pick up objects with these suction cups, such as stones, leaves, and shells, and hold them above them. It's been determined that different species use this instinctual habit for different reasons, which is interesting. Sea urchins and tide pools grab hold of heavier objects to weigh themselves down. This saves them from being thrown around in violent waters. Others appear to use the objects they hold to hide from predators, and still others appear to use the objects they carry to hold extra food to take around with them. Now pick up that phone or that tablet, or open a new tab on that computer, and Google sea urchins in hats. Some aquarists had the genius idea of 3D printing tiny hats, everything from Viking hats to Mickey Mouse ears, and placed them into their 120-gallon saltwater aquarium. Obviously, this idea took off, and other aquarists have since adopted this tiny hat idea as well. So please, go look at sea urchins wearing top hats, cowboy hats, and cute little derbies. Who knew a sea urchin could be so fucking adorable? 
so ends my first episode of the year. Thank you for listening. May your health and sanity continue to be replenished daily. I would like to say thank you to the following people. Jason Martin for helping me get started on this project three years ago. I would not be doing this right now if not for him. Kathy Rayner for her musical contribution on the violin. Paul Palmer for his musical contribution on the guitar. He can be found at WPG Suitcase Drummer on Instagram. Dustin Harder for composing and recording the intro and outro for the show. You can find him on Instagram at Prairie Soul Music. And of course, thank you to my family, as without their love and support, I would have never had the courage to put myself and my passions out there as I do. I hope you will choose to join me again in two weeks for episode 77 of Living Through Extinction. If you enjoy Living Through Extinction and would like to support the show, the best ways to do so are to subscribe and rate and to comment and like positive comments on your favorite podcast player, or you can help by following, liking, and sharing on all the social medias. The show can be found under Living Through Extinction on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and TikTok, and under LTE Pod on Twitter. And it can now also be found at LTE Pod on Hive, though I think it can still be found there if you search the Living Through Extinction as well. There's also a Patreon at patreon.com slash livingthroughextinction. There you can earn stickers, pins, masks, and more, as well as help me to plant some trees. If you have any comments, corrections, questions, or suggestions, please email them to livingthroughextinction at gmail.com or message me through one of the social medias. Thank you.